Hi, welcome to Leave Your Dream Podcast. My name is Selena Lee, and I'm a career and executive coach. I'm sharing inspirational stories from people who overcame rejections and failures to achieve their dreams. I hope these stories will inspire you to have the courage to pursue your own dreams and live a life doing what you love. You'll also hear about how I've transformed my own career from an investment banker and a corporate lawyer to becoming a coach, which I believe is my calling. You'll also learn the strategies I use to coach many professionals out of unfulfilling jobs and into careers they love. Before we start the show today, I want to read you a review from one of my listeners. Tanya wrote, love this podcast. Selena's podcast always contains a new tip or an idea that I haven't thought of that would make a difference in my life. Love this podcast. Wow. Thank you so much, Tanya. You totally made my day with this lovely review. Doing this podcast is a labor of love, and I do it in the hope that it will inspire and help a lot of people, but I need your help. If you enjoy listening to my podcast, or if it helped you in any way, I would be so grateful if you can please tell your friends about it and also share on social media. As you know, I'm a one-woman show, and I don't have a huge advertising budget, so I am relying on you to help me grow the podcast so I can help a lot more people. Another way you can help me is by writing me a review. I love reading your reviews and it means so much to me and it keeps me motivated to keep creating new episodes even on days when it's really hard to do so. I thought Apple Podcasts is the only way to leave me a review and some of you who listen from Android phone asked me how you could write me a review and there wasn't a way until now, I don't think. And I actually just found out about this new review site called Podchaser, where you can write me a review even from your Android phone. So yay! So I was so happy to learn about this. Um, I'll include the link in my share notes and maybe you'll be the first person to write me a review on Podchaser and that would totally make my day. To see the show notes for today's episode, just open up your podcast app and click on today's show notes. Or you can go to selinalee.co for slash episode 43. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E.co for slash episode 43. And of course, if you listen from iPhone, you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts and I'd be so grateful. Okay, so as some of you may know, I have the biggest sweet tooth. And the things that's keeping me company while I create new episodes for my podcast are coffee and chocolate. I always have some good chocolate nearby and they really seem to help me with my writer's blog and my creative blog. And I actually just ate some right before recording this episode. And the past year has been tough. So these simple pleasures like indulging on a good piece of chocolate really help me to boost my mood and my happiness level. So I think chocolate is always a good idea. So one time when I was in Paris, uh, of course, this is before COVID, there were so many uh, chocolate stores, macaron shops, and dessert cafes that I wanted to visit, but I was only there for a few days. So um, I didn't have enough time to go to all the places that I wanted. So I started eating dessert for breakfast. So yes, this is true. And I was so happy to have visited all the places that I wanted to check out. Oh my God, just talking about this makes me really want to go back to Paris. So yes, I love sweets and I'm sharing with you today one of my favorite episodes from my last season, a conversation I had with Katrina Markov, the founder of one of my absolute favorite chocolate brand, Vosges au Chocolat. 
I thought many of you may not have had a chance to listen to this episode yet, so I wanted to share with you again since Valentine's Day is coming up in about two weeks. Um, here's a little background story about why I decided to interview Katrina. Um, after graduating from law school, I came to New York City to study for my bar exam, and I was living in Soho at the time. And of course, I was staring at law books all day trying to study. And the only highlight of my day was to take a break and visit Vogue's store in Soho to buy some chocolate. It was like a brief escape from my depressing reality of having to study all day. And since I was going to the store like almost every day, people at the store started to recognize me and they would ask me questions. And I told them that I was studying for the bar exam and how hard it was. And they would give me pep talks and they said, you can do this. And they wished me good luck on my exam. And sometimes they would even give me some free chocolate. And I felt so much better. And it totally made my day because I just had this really nice interaction with really kind people. And the store was beautiful too. It was all purple with chandeliers. And most importantly, the chocolate was delicious. So when I was scheduled to go to Chicago to give a talk, of course, this was before COVID, I decided to reach out to Katrina to see if I could interview her uh, because I knew her company was headquartered in Chicago. And of course, I sent a cold email because I didn't know her at the time. And I emailed her company and asked them if they could please forward my email to Katrina. And I wrote this email sharing my story and why I wanted to interview her. And I was so excited to hear from her team saying that she said yes to the interview and that she would love to do it and that she loved my story too. So I'm so happy to share with you the conversation I had with Katrina Markov, who created this beautiful chocolate brand. After studying chemistry and psychology in college, Katrina moved to Paris to pursue her dream of studying the culinary arts at the Le Cordon Bleu. She then worked at the legendary restaurant El Bulli in Spain, which was one of the toughest restaurants in the world to get a reservation at the time, with more than 3,000 people on the waiting list. She then embarked on a journey to travel all around the world. Her travels inspired her to create Vosges by blending exotic ingredients like curry, bacon, and chipotle chili in premium chocolate. Katrina shared with me how trusting her intuition and following her heart led to an amazing journey where all of her life experiences came together to create this beautiful chocolate brand. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Katrina, I'm so excited to start this conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh. We are at the Vosges of Cho Chocolat. Did I pronounce yes, that right? Yes, Vosges Chocolat. Perfect. <laughs> the temple in Chicago surrounded by beautiful chocolate and oh my gosh, so many beautiful things. So thanks so much for being here. Um, let's start with your childhood. Where did you grow up? Oh, thank you so much. Um, gosh, well, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and um, I'm Macedonian, so grew up in sort of that more ethnic background, household, a family that cooked a lot. Um, I grew up next to my grandparents, like literally next door. So my mom, who was you know, a single mom who had to work and she worked a lot, um, was gone a lot. And so I would hang out with my grandmother and we would cook a lot. She'd make her own yogurt, her own phyllo dough. So yeah, so I grew up in Indiana with a very close family. So you grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. I think your mom was also an entrepreneur. How did that affect you and who you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah. I mean, if, you know, like I guess many immigrant type families, you often become entrepreneurs and scrappy and try to figure things out. And so my mom had needed to help my grandfather after he had a heart attack with her business. And she was wow. really young, really like 
21. And so she jumped into that business and, um, what kind of business was it? It was janitorial supplies. So totally different Different from what you do. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, she was really, really good at it. And she was, um, she never finished college and she was incredibly charismatic and optimistic and quirky personality. And I think she did so well selling. And in the eighties, when the EPA was formed and all the janitors were dealing with the waste and they were just really dumping it down the drain, um, she started working with them to recycle the waste. And so she kind of started this, well, she did start this like hazardous waste removal recycling business. And so I saw a very much sort of very meager beginning, I'll say. We didn't have much money. Um, and my mom kind of made it and she created this environmental business and it was just really cool. And she was always like, if you want it, just do it. Like she never judged much. She just sort of was so encouraging. And, and so I saw this entrepreneurial spirit super early. Yeah. Um, I read that you had a lemonade stand and then also a cake business in high school. (laughs) So you started early. Yes. So we lived on this, like kind of like this interstate, like busy road and there'd be a lot of like traffic in front of our road. And so we would have these garage sales and, um, I would run them with my siblings and I just got really into that. And I made easy bake oven cakes and sold them there. And of course, lemonade. And, um, and then in high school, yeah, I had my own cake business. And then you went to college at Vanderbilt and then you studied chemistry psychology. (laughs) I know. I know. I loved chemistry in high school. I had an amazing professor. And so, so I did all those, you know, advanced chemistry classes because I just had a great teacher. And then when I went to Vanderbilt, I thought I'd continue that. But then I got to my end of my, my senior year and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't want to go to these career fairs and I don't want to, I don't know. I felt uncomfortable interviewing. It was such an awkward thing. And I was a free spirit, you know, and I didn't really, I don't know. I guess I just never saw myself working for someone and I wanted to follow my heart into something I loved. And my degrees were so broad that I didn't really connect with them on a sort of tangible level. And it was never about money necessarily for me. You know, I didn't want to take a job just because it paid well out of school. Like I wanted to like do something that was going to make a difference. Right. And I had this mom who was like wildly supportive of following your heart in a very irreverent way. And, you know, when I graduated from Vanderbilt, there was no celebrity chef thing. I mean, there was Julia Childs, but it wasn't like, what you see today, right? I didn't have modeling about what I could do in food. There weren't cool food companies. Mm -hmm. You know, there weren't, there wasn't storytelling in food. And so I was like, but, but I knew that I needed to follow my instincts because I always had, like, I really believe in following signs. Like everything means something to me. And especially when I was younger, like I just, just always believed in my destiny was like, just pointing me in directions and I, all I need to do was pay attention. So that was a moment where I was like, I know I love cooking. I know I love it. It's the way I communicate. Cause I was a pretty shy kid. I had an older brother and a younger sister. So the, I was, a you know, I, 
I guess the middle children, I don't know if they're like quieter or passed <laughs> over or whatever. They have to like find their way to speak. And my way to speak was by making cakes. Like that was the way I started conversations. Like in high school, I had the cake business and at the lemonade and like your mom would come home and you would like decorate her room and yes. then and and bake for her yes yeah. yes yes that was my way of showing um gratitude to my mom yeah, i would expressing love expressing love mm-hmm. yeah that 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 was it and it was so funny like um i think now i just probably wasn't the most like literary you know strong person or something because that was really how i did it um it was by exper- creating experiences and mm-hmm. like it was around food yeah. So looking back now, it's very easy to see, oh my gosh, I can see how that influenced me today. And that was sort of just my nature. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you make the decision to, you know, go to Paris and, and, and study cooking? Well, I had been given um, this book by a woman who was, I guess, a mentor for me. And she, it was called Where the Heart Leads You, Success Will Follow. I think she must have self-published it because I can't find the book anymore. I tried finding it, looking you? for that book too. <laughs> oh, <I know. laughs> but it's a great, maybe I need to write it. It's a great, or maybe you need to write it because <laughs> you're talking so much about that. It, it, it's, it was so awesome because it basically had a series of what I'd call manifestation exercises, but things that you would go and write in a beautiful natural place. Like, what do I truly love? Like what comes to my mind first? What? How, and, and it was sort of like this brain mapping. And I was you know, kept talking about cooking and horses and, and, you know, kind of circled the, the cooking thing. And, um, and then I went for it and I was like, mom, I really think I want to go to culinary school. And she's like, what? And she's like, well, if you're going to go, go to the best one, the best school you can go to. And so I looked up schools and found Cordon Bleu in Paris. And, and I didn't want to do the U S schools because most of them were like really long multi-year programs. And I didn't, I just did college. I didn't want to do something. I just want to learn how to cook. I didn't want to care. I didn't care about the business of cooking. I didn't care about the sanitation of cooking. I didn't care about, like, I just wanted to learn. So I moved to Paris, like right after school and thought I'd stay there for a few months, but ended up staying there for like a year and a half and loved it and got to go to the Cordon Bleu and then got to realize, I mean, I kind of realized like, you know, the French were so, as I called it, provincial and so dedicated to Escoffier and like the methodology of that type of cooking. And I felt like there was so much disruption that needed to happen. And then I found El Bulli. Yeah. How was that, that like for was working like, for the legendary chef? I know. he. <laughs> that was just radical for me coming from the formal French more traditional, you know, haute cuisine, as they'd say, to Ferran, who didn't have a gas line in the restaurant. So it was all electric. And in wow. the, in France, you would never think of cooking on electric, right? <laughs> and that was like the first thing I was like, wow, this is really unique. And then, um, you know, I had these amazing conversations with him uh, because the my friend Maria, who we, we went together, she, her father had helped his best friend adopt a baby. So we were, we were sort of connected to him in a way that was a little bit deeper than the typical stagiaire. And, um, and he, 
and you know, he would say like, what do you want to do next? And I'd say, Oh, I want to work at Michelin three-star restaurants. And he's like, Oh, what a waste of your time. Yeah, Don't really. do that. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> really? He said, no, you have to use your own imagination and your own like sense of taste to create something. And that's how I heard it, you know, and he didn't speak English. So I heard it, I think, in French, and he, he spoke French pretty well, but, you know, whatever. It was just interesting, like two different languages, not foreign tongues, and it sort of changed my whole life from there. And I ended up traveling with my friend Maria around the world to study food. We bought a ticket around the world. and Wow, where did she go? There. What did you see? Oh, it was amazing. We saw, you know, mostly, I would say, you know, Southeast Asia was the place that really, it was my first entry to Asia I had never been there before and to see the ingredients that they have, they're so fresh and so vivid and so in front of you and all the smells. And it was shocking to me being this girl from Indiana and, and I just, it blew my mind. So, um, that's kind of where I was like, whoa. And I started writing all these recipes, like modern dessert recipes. Cause I thought, that we'd write a book together, Marie and I. And I thought, I quickly knew I wasn't going to be a chef. Well, how did you know that? The environment of a kitchen was really uh, built for a very um, different person than myself. I mean, in general, I felt like the way I was spoken to and looked at was not, um, jiving with, you know, how I wanted to be. I felt like, you know, coming in as a stagiaire and a woman in a kitchen, which was definitely a minority in the kitchen to be a woman, like some of the chefs would, you know, be really inappropriate with you, flirting with you at suggestions. And then if you didn't play their game, they could be incredibly rude and mean. And I didn't like that. And I didn't want to become this hard edged, you know, tough mouth. I didn't want to be that person. Like Mm -hmm. I kind of, I just wanted to be me and I didn't feel like I really could be me because in the kitchen, there's so much of a hierarchy. So, you know, you have, you know, you would, I would never call myself a chef, you know, because you're not a chef until you're the executive chef. Like Uh, you're just a cook. And and in in the U S when I came back, I remember that being such a shock to me because people would say they were chef, but they weren't the executive chef. So I'm like, I would never call myself a chef. Like, <laughs> it, it, it was just different. And, and, um, and you know, you rely so much on obviously people coming into your physical location to, to interact with them. And I didn't like that limitation either. So, so I didn't, so I was thinking, Oh gosh, I, what am I going to do now? Oh my God. I just sold my, my family that I wanted to be a chef. I, I, I went to Paris and culinary school and travel around the world. And now I don't want to do that. And when you're traveling around the world, like you'd go to like, different countries and just get a job there and cook at the restaurant? Like, how did you do that? Well, we ended up meeting a chef from a hotel who, um, because chefs in hotels, they move a lot. Like people in the hotel business, they tend to move all over globally. They work in, you know, the, we were, you know, five-star restaurant, five-star hotel type restaurants. And so these chefs were just so kind to help and connect. So they would connect us with the, you know, the chef at the Mandarin Oriental in Bangkok or, you know, the, 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 the chef at the Dusitani in, um, in Southern, um, Huahin in, um, 
in Thailand. So it just kind of one reference to the next and peninsula in Hong Kong. And it was just like, so we got to meet all these amazing people along the way and never was it really planned. It just was like, it was so highly intuitive and flowy and it was so highly trust in the universe, that whole trip. I mean, I was what, 21 or 22, like traveling around with my girlfriend in, in Asia and Europe by ourselves, figuring it out. You know, it was just the most extraordinary experience. Wow. I I was so blessed. And, and it was an interesting conflict too, because I also felt like, my God, what am I doing with my life? You know, my, by comparison, my friends are at these great companies, you know, whether it was... Yeah, like the normal jobs. The normal jobs, <laughs> the Goldman Sachs and mm-hmm. the Anderson and the, all these consulting. And and I was not making an income and feeling like, by comparison, am I going to ever make it? Am yeah. I, you know, the doubts that come. Of course. Which are always there. Of course. And then, but yeah, you're, you also have this sort of like instinctual like following that you have to do this and that it will make sense eventually and believing in that that path was going to be okay and so yeah so I get back essentially to the states and I'm like oh my gosh I don't want to be a chef (laughs) and then was your mom like oh my gosh what are you gonna do now (laughs) yes like oh my god are you gonna just like live off of me forever like what's the deal and I'm like no I mean, no, no, I couldn't. I didn't, I wasn't that person. I wasn't built to do that. Like I needed, like everybody, you need to do something that that you feel like you love and that could make a difference. And yeah. So how did you have the idea to start a chocolate company after, you know, working at El Bulli, going to Le Cordon Bleu before that, and then traveling all around the world, working in all this amazing kitchen in so many different countries? Like, how did that idea come to you to start a chocolate company? Well, so my uncle, well, he was really my mom's first cousin, but he was down in Dallas and he had said, you know, why don't you come and help me? I'm starting this company and you can just help me do everything and anything you'll learn while you're figuring out what you want to do next. Because I had intended to write like a cookbook, a modern Mm -hmm. dessert cookbook with my friend. But she didn't end up liking any of my ideas, which was <laughs> totally another heartbreak for oh, me. No. And I and I was at ground zero again. And so I, I, I went to Dallas and I, I started, you know, helping him and being like, what am I going to do next? Because this didn't work out either. So now like I have very little direction on where I'm going to go. And he said, you know, I need you to do everything. So first task is help me buy beautiful furniture and plates and we're going to sell them in online. This is 20 years ago. So this is the beginning of website e-commerce, you know, so, and, and we're going to put in a catalog. So I would go and help him pick these furniture pieces and plates. And it's like, now you have to remember people aren't able to touch this. So they need to be, they need to have you help them describe it as if they were in front of it. Like what are the attributes? Who made it? How is it crafted? Why is that special? You've got to tell a story. I said, okay. So then I then wrote the copy for all of these things to put into the catalog and into the onto the website. And then he said, okay, now we have to shoot it, you know, so I need you to help photo style it. So like bring props and like think again, like, you know, what's the scene? What's the environment? What makes this interesting? So then I learned a lot about photo styling. And then he'd have me, of course, answer the phone for the customers. He'd have me ship the product. And he said, okay, now we're going to plan for the fourth quarter books for holiday. 
and people love to buy foodstuffs. Go to the mart and see what you can find. And I went and I saw like an incredible amount of boxed chocolates and wow. and fondants and things like that. And I started tasting them and they were, you know, terrible. <laughs> it was, you know, super sweet flavorings, artificial this, artificial that. And people believed these these brands were quality brands and they were actually eating things that weren't good for them. Yeah. So I started to think about that and, and, um, and Neiman Marcus was based in Dallas, which was just such an iconic, you know, department store, you know, talk about experience and their heritage. It was just incredible. So that was a big influence too, just being around them and they had an Epicure department and I saw the food that they carried in that. And then I, I went home, um, to my apartment one night and I had on this necklace from the Nagaland tribes in India. And I just, for some reason, I just loved this necklace, just had such an energy to it. And then I started reading a lot about the Nagaland people and realizing how special this culture was. And I went into my kitchen and I had all these ingredients for my travels. Cause you know, again, I was going to write this cookbook and I made this curry and coconut with milk chocolate truffle. And I decided to name it Naga. You know, I had this sort of copywriting and like the storytelling in me. So it was like in that moment where it was like this lightning bolt flash of like an epiphany. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is the white space. This is like what I'm meant to do. Like to tell stories about these places and people and, and, and religions and ingredients that I fell in love with on my travels through this medium of chocolate and chocolate is the medium and it's so powerful, but it's the story that's really the connection here between, and it's the sort of opposites attracting like things that didn't go together naturally or that made it sort of exciting, at least to me exciting. And there was nothing fresh in the marketplace. There was nothing telling stories there were people that wanted to give beautiful gifts. There really wasn't luxury chocolate and there wasn't soulful chocolate. And so the whole thing that night came together in this fury of, of um, making all these chocolates with all these ingredients, olive oil and, and paprika and, and, and wasabi and curry. And it was wild. And I named them all and I wrote stories for them and I brought them into the office the next day. <laughs> and people were like, that's disgusting. <laughs> I'm like, why? Just try it. And like, it was, it was wild because people didn't want to try it. I mean, this was, you know, I don't know the, the, the audience here, but whoever knew about food in 20 years will remember that like there weren't exotic ingredients in food. Not in potato chips, not in like tea, not in chocolate. So it was, it was so bizarre. Yeah. uh, For people. But when you tried it, I could see people's faces change. They were like, they were shocked and stunned and amazed and like intrigued and like curious. And I thought, my God, this is what I'm meant to do. You know, open people's minds up to new ideas through chocolate and through story. And, will we become a more open to cultural diversity? Will we become more, uh, less judgmental about others and more curious about others as opposed to like, I don't like whatever, you know, like start with curiosity, not, 
negativity and judgment. So it was that that made me be like, I, this is, I'm in the right place. This is what I, I need to do. This is, this is, this means something to me. And it, I think means something to other people. And it, so that's I happened. think that's what I loved about your brand, because I feel like there's a story you want to tell about different cultures and different people through your chocolate. And I think, um, in the same way that when you, you know, for the first time, you know, brought to people like chocolate with curry or spices or bacon or whatever exotic ingredients, people are like, no, ew, gross. I don't want to try that. I think that has, is very similar in a way. A lot of times people are fearful of the unknown. So it's because they didn't have any contact or exposure to different people, different race, different culture, different language that they are afraid of what's different from them. But once you try the chocolate, once you meet these people, hear their stories, they open their mind. Yes. So, you know, you are making the world a more peaceful place, one chocolate at a time. Yeah. <laughs> right? I love it. That's right. <laughs> Traveling like the that. world through chocolate, right? Yes. One love, one chocolate. I love it. <laughs> How did you come up with the name Vosch? Well, <laughs> I had... You know, when I lived in Paris, I had always had the hardest time saying the Place de Vosges. So basically, I never went there because I didn't want to tell the taxi driver. <laughs> I would always say it wrong. It was such a hard Germanic Alsatian word. And um, so I, but there was a Michelin three-star restaurant there, which is still there, called Lamboisie. And we had gone there and the chef from the school at the Cordon Bleu had called ahead to the chef there and said, Hey, can you take care of these, um, people, these students for me? And, um, so they had brought out something at the very end of the course that was a truffle beignet and they had taken ganache, which is the center of the truffle and they had frozen it and then dipped it in a beignet batter. And then while frying, the ganache started to get liquefied and, and melt. And so when it was perfectly brown and crispy, they'd take it out and they'd bring it straight to the table. And they say, you have to eat this a la minute. And you would pop this little crispy beignet in your mouth and then like this burst of liquid chocolate. And I fell in love with chocolate that day because as a kid, I had never liked chocolate. I didn't have good chocolate. Right. I didn't. I thought chocolate tasted like sour milk. You know, that's what <laughs> I knew about it. And then I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And so, you know, then I, you know, went on my way and then I kept thinking about, you know, what would I call this chocolate company with these interesting ingredients? And what came up for me? And I wrote, I have even the paper. So I wrote down all these names on this paper, the back of the paper, the front of the paper. I'm like, which one, which one, which one? I asked all these people, which one should I name my company? What am I going to do? And then I kept being coming back to Vosges because it was the moment that I fell in love with it. And I thought, I cannot call this Vosges because no one will ever be able to say it. <laughs> and I'm just setting myself up for failure. And then I said, you know what? There are plenty of brands that people don't know how to say perfectly. And so, and when you do know how to say it, you're sort of in the know. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just going to go with it. So then it was like Vosges au chocolat, meaning like, like high level of chocolate crafted couture, you know, sort of relates to like haute couture, but in the way of chocolate. And, um, yeah. So then I just, you know, again, I didn't overthink it. Yeah. Sometimes I found as I moved through my life, you know, that I, I would get, I'd have moments in my life where I was like more insecure or, you know, or people must know better than me. And that's true. People do. But then there's some things that like you have to remember that you also weigh in as your own voice yeah. and you can't 
negate that and think everybody else is smarter than you because like some things you just, you just got to do it your way. Yeah, absolutely. You, You have to do it. So it's like always finding those, those times like, when is it, right? The advice you get and when is it right? What your voice is saying. Mm -hmm. And I think you started this company in 1998. Mm -hmm. So it's been 20 years. So congratulations. This is your first time starting a company. So how did you know what to do? I mean, it's my first time starting a company. And honestly, I've never had like a real job either. Like I worked in college, I worked in high school, but I mean, not like, like I didn't start a career with an investment banker or something like you. Most people will say, Oh, you know, I want to do this, but I don't have the experience. I can't do that. Exactly. Right? So how how did you have the courage to do it? How did you figure it all out? You know what? I think there were a few things that happened along the way that made me really believe so much in myself. And I think the first thing was at a young age, I had a really strong pull from my inner voice or my intuitive self. I just did. I I thought a lot. I had a lot of white downtown I played outside a lot and I got really, uh, I got very close to what that voice is. Call it the soul, call it intuitive, call it, I don't know. But that, and so that made me, it kind of made me feel strong that I had that connection. And I think also like being Macedonian, there was so much pride around that for my, nobody probably even knows what Macedonia is, not many people, (laughs) but for my, family, the way I was raised to believe because I was Macedonian, I was special. Oh, wow. And so there was like a a silent pride that was in me also. And then I had a mom, you know, who was wild and took risk and I sort of modeled. She's taken risks and failed, and she's also taken risks and won and even on both sides of that, she has been optimistic, especially on the failure side. Really? If I, if we had more time and I could tell you about the stories of my mom's mm-hmm. journey and it's just incredible that things have happened to her and this woman is not rocked by becoming negative. She didn't wow. do it. She was just even more optimistic. I'm just like, I get goosebumps thinking about, because imagine being raised by somebody like that. It is, it is, it's so incredible. And so like, I think I just, I just channeled that to no end. Mm. So when I started the company, I'm also quite competitive and competitive with my brother. I see. Who also had his own company. So we always had like this thing, you know, (laughs) and I was always racing against him and he was always telling me I couldn't do it. And I was always saying really? like, I could. And so some people, they tell that people say you can't do it. And they like, believe it. And some people you say you can't do it. And they like, want to fight you. I was more like, I want to fight you for you. You're wrong. You know? <laughs> so I just, how I was born. And also what I saw, I think that's a little bit of it. And, and, you know, it's funny, you know, here at Vosges, I am so proud to say there's been many people who have become entrepreneurs from this place. And that's really, oh, wow. I really hope for that because people, you know, a lot of people want to, Pay, play it safe and afraid of like risk. And then they come here and they're like, Oh my God, she can do it. I can do it. <laughs> that art, no. uh, speaking of which you also started a company called wild Ophelia, and then you create an accelerator program for girls in high school and college um, who have the dream of starting a business in food. Yeah. yeah. It goes right back to what you're saying. Yeah, it does. I mean, that really is just a reflection of, you know, 
giving back and kind of going back and, and, um, I love it. I love doing that. We've had two accelerators come through the program so far. Um, this year we had this amazing, amazing woman, Jamie Kim, who, um, is at Cornell. Um, I think she's a senior this year, started this incredible granola business with, um, grass fed butter. And she's just super smart. And I mean, just, just amazing. So to, you know how, you know how it feels to help people, you know, with their dreams. It's like, it's basically the American dream. Like we all believe in that and we all like to help make that happen. So this is basically my way of doing that. That's amazing. So it's been a 20 year journey for you. And I think Vosh even grew during the recession when all other companies were going out of business. And that's really incredible. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's like with chocolate at that time in 2008, nine, you know, it was, it is affordable luxury that mm-hmm. you don't want to necessarily give up just because times are hard. Maybe you won't go on the vacation, but you still want to treat yourself. And so chocolate is like, like, like that, like, like great liquor and great spirits and great lipstick, you know, it's sort of things that you want to still indulge in. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so we were really lucky for that. Um, I'm sure it wasn't all smooth sailing for you because life as an entrepreneur, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. When was the most uh, difficult time for you? You know, honestly, I think the most difficult time has really been for me the last three or four years because we went from being completely at capacity, totally maxed out to having to jump to the next level. So we built this building and put a whole new equipment line in, built a ton of capacity, had a lot of changes with the team. And it was sort of like the plateaued, the business that we didn't think that was going to happen. And like sort of been like, you know, struggling, I think with that next level and, um, and, you know, businesses go through these cycles and we're finally coming out of it, but it's been a challenge. You know, I remember, like when I first started, it took four years to be profitable, then wow. more profitable. Now I sort of almost feel like in a way I'm starting over again in, um, in the sense that like this new building, this new space, the second brand, it was so much at one time that it, it felt like it was starting from zero. The, the, the amount of time that I've had to put into the, these years is so much like this and similar to the beginning. Ah, I see. And you know, you, at least I always look at other people like, Oh, everything must be great. and perfect. And like, (laughs) they're just growing and everything. That's what people think of you. I know. (laughs) But I'm like, no, you know, like every day, I swear every day that, that phone I hold in my hand has plenty of ups and downs in it. That energy of like something awesome happened, something terrible happened. We got to fix that. Oh my God. I got to fix that. Oh, the people think this, I got to do something with, you know, it's never, it's never just up. I mean, maybe other people are lucky. I just, (laughs) I can tell you like, it's just every day is like a a, a mood wave, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, and it's, and that's where like, I was kind of, I think over the last four years, which have been so, you know, difficult for me so much. I was like relying on what do other people think? What should I do? Help me save me. And like at the end of it, I'm like, you know what? You know who saves you? You do. You save you. Nobody saves you. Right. You know, 
stop being a victim. Stop your stupid talking to yourself negatively. Mm-hmm. Like just freaking do something about it. So I've like, you know, kind of like been finding my, you know, my, my energy, my mojo, my vibe again, and like going with what I really feel like is right. And sort of going back to the core of what the brand is and was, and you know, the, the beautiful experiential and gifting, like just going deeper and deeper into that. And, and that's it, you know, the direct to consumer and the gifting, like the, that whole thing is really our platform of best, you know, I think so. So, yeah. Um, you've achieved so much success. What have you learned about success that you can share with us? I mean, I guess that's such a hard one because yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I'm really successful. I mean, am I? <laughs> Katrina, I, you are. <laughs> I don't know. I have to remind you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think, um, I think, you know, success is about, is about a team. It's about a leader. It's about, trusting your instincts and um, it's about being real. It's about collaboration because it really does feel successful. The best, you know, I was saying like, I love helping entrepreneurs with this accelerator program or like giving back or like, it sort of is the same with a team. It's like what I'm discovering is that when you view your team as like partners, then it feels totally different. It's like, Uh, I see it's, it's, I kind of just recently learned. And that to me is like success because there's good vibes. Yeah. When you view your team as partners, as opposed to like employees from a traditional sense, if you will. And I've, um, and you get more out of it. Like when I brainstorm here with people openly, I am like, whoa, like, the amount of incredible ideas and creativity that comes from people is so far beyond what I have. And that sort of like the, the, you know, the sum of the people together is far greater than the individuals, you know, added up, you know, quantitatively. And so I know that's a trite phrase, but it's like, it really does resonate with me and it's exciting for everyone because they feel like they're part of something, like right. part of a movement, part of a creative process. And though some people think that they're not creative, everybody is. And so when you have that ability to connect people through that, it gives like um, a vibrational charge to everybody there. Right. You, it just feels like we're on this team. Like we're yeah. on, you're doing it together. You're doing it together. Yeah. And that yeah. to me is really, I think success doesn't exist in numbers for me. Success is most rewarding when it's an energetic sort of concentric, you know, connectivity with your crew, you know, and that's fresh. This is a fresh thing for me to be thinking. And I have just been feeling it lately and it's been like so good. Which brings me to the next question. Um, We all know no one succeeds alone. No one achieves dreams alone. So who helped you to get to where you are now? Oh, I've had so, so (laughs) many angels, you know, show up. I call them angels too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So many angels. I mean, I would say like my first mentor was Larry Binstein, who I met on the phone. Um, and he was in Chicago and I was in Dallas and he had a big European importing food business. And I could not find good chocolate in the country at the time. 
and he helped me source chocolate and cacao. And he was like an angel and he just helped me and then he helped me bring it in. And he just, so like, I think I've had people like that, you know, Jeff Heckman, who was a big lawyer and he just was like, I think I'm just going to help you pro bono. I'm just going to do this for you. And because, you know, people, I don't know. Like I said, I keep talking about this American dream because it's such a real thing. And it's like people want to help other people. It just feels good. You know, America especially is such a generous country. When you think about the amount of money we donate to charities and causes and things like that, it's just incredible. And I think it's just in our spirit, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've, (laughs) I've just feel like I've been so lucky with so many that have, you know, I've interacted with and right. After 20 years of being an entrepreneur and having achieved so much success, when you look back to your younger self, what would you want to say to your younger Katrina? I would continue to say, you got this, you know, like he, you know, it's for me, it's all about like positive talk, you know, like encouragement, like, um, you know, you know, don't give up and keep doing what you think is right. You know, don't, you know, don't doubt, don't doubt, just keep going. Just keep, you know, and that's what I say to everyone too. It's like, follow your gut, like yeah, at all cost, do it. And it's so scary. And sometimes like the universe has to do things to you because you didn't do it first because you were like, it's like pushing yourself into yeah. different directions. Like, mm-hmm. I always say when people like get fired or have something big happen, the breakup or the, it's like, because it was oftentimes you were stagnant and not doing anything about it. And you had to have this happen to you because you weren't going to be, you know, so it's like, try, remember to be proactive for yourself and like, it's take the leap. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. So you have achieved so much. What is your dream now? <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm like, I'm really into, um, I'm really into mindfulness and energy and like intention. And like, you can see on my, uh, my desk here, I've got like a million crystals. I know yeah. we're like surrounded by so many crystals <laughs> I here. I know. I'm like working on a candlelight. It's the first time I'm actually doing an interview with a beautiful candlelight in this beautiful <laughs> office. I know. It's got like, I know. Mm. I love, I mean, you know, like I love, I love the the power within and I love the energy. I love magic. I love, you know, rituals and like the power of manifestation and all that stuff. And so we're starting to just blend it more into the chocolates because our guided chocolate tasting is very much like a meditation. When you read what we say on how to taste chocolate, you know, close your eyes and take three deep ujjayi breaths and then open your eyes and then look at the chocolate and what do you see and describe it? And it's, you know, all those sensorial steps around, you know, touch and smell and hearing. And, and then when you taste that chocolate, even if you're not a fan of the flavor profile, like let's say it has like an anise flavor, which some people like and some don't, you can still appreciate it at a level that you probably couldn't have if you weren't, you know, in your body and like, sort of viscerally like aware of things. And I think that the crystals have been around forever, forever in ancient, ever Egypt, China, wherever, you know, and the, the healing powers of them and, you know, the psychic abilities of them and, you know, all the things that they can do and that these million year old, you know, 
energetic vibrational things have energy, but they also can make your energy sort of go into motion. And so very much like if you were to put an intention into chocolate and then eat that from a cellular level, you start to change. And, you know, people have done, you know, this is ancient, ancient, this is nothing new. This is not, this is wisdom though. And this is ancient wisdom. And it's the same thing that you can do with crystals. Like you can hold a crystal in your hand, you can put an intention for it. And then you are reminded with that crystal to, to, to that you have set that intention and the crystal does work to shift things for you. So I feel like there is this sort of the same kind of thing that happens with chocolate, with cacao beans, which is also super ancient and was so, you know, there was such a sort of spiritual quality to it. You know, it gave virility to Montezuma. It was so, you know, valuable. They viewed it as currency. Like there was, it was buried in tombs with people. So I think they are similar in many ways. And so I'm trying to connect them through collections that we're doing now and, and through our boutiques. And, you know, I think as the world gets to this maxed out point with over communication, we need these small reminders, rituals, moments, things that can help ground us again yeah, and be human again yeah. and, you know, of nature again. And, um, so like, this is so Vosh 2.0, I think for me and for us and, <laughs> What would be your words of advice for people who are trying to achieve their dreams? I would say, um, dream big and write it down. I always say that (laughs) for my community. Yes. Yeah. Write it down, right? Write it down. Do you write down your dreams? I I do. Oh my gosh. I have 750, like whatever in my, in my phone, actually. I, I, I do have a journal, but I, I, I keep notes on all my ideas mm-hmm. and I write them down. I will say, I do think it's for me better to write it on paper. Me too. Cause it's yeah. like, you visually see the yeah, way the you write journal. it. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and so then visually I remember the page. Absolutely. And yeah. I think writing is incredibly important. Right. It, it gives you more clarity. Yes. There's like a magical power in actually committing it to paper. There is. Mm-hmm. There is. And they, and they say that's why like cursive writing is so important for people to, to know how to do because kids, because it's, it, there's a connectivity in the brain when the, the idea flows. So when you actually write something, the idea is richer, bigger, deeper, the way you have to write. And so, yeah, I, I, I love, I believe in like the writing, the physical um, I guess, what is it? Depiction visual of your idea mm-hmm. on a piece of paper. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I certainly have encountered that in my life where I would write down my, my dreams and many years later I would actually discover, Oh my God, I've done all of this and I had it written down. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, I did that as a kid too. I wrote yeah. down, I want to live in another country. I want to learn how to fly a plane. I want to, and I'll, like this list of things. And I'll not, I, I'll never forget the list. And I just kept checking things off the list. Mm-hmm. Me too. Oh my my mom still has a, my um, dream list from like my middle school years. And my sister took a picture of it and sent it to me the other day. And <laughs> I saw that I had achieved all of it, including writing a book and, and all of that. And so I absolutely believe there's power and magic in writing down your dreams on paper. And then it will become a reality. <laughs> it absolutely will. Yeah. 
I have to ask you, do you have a favorite flavor? <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. No, my God, that's so hard. It totally yeah. depends on my mood. Mm-hmm. And like, what is my favorite now? Right? At this very moment. What what am I crave? Is that like mm-hmm. asking you to pick your favorite child? It is. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is. But I'm thinking to myself, lately I've been like looking through, like I taste everything, you know, that we make and there's been some lately that I'm like, oh, where's that one? I really want to try that one. There's a one in the new vault mm-hmm. that um, I love. So we did a collection that's launching just in a couple weeks here of a 20-year retrospective of chocolates that are no longer in our main collections and they're coming back for this one. And there's one that I love because it forces me to eat it so slowly and I just appreciate it so much. It's called La Truffe Paprika and it's it's just a fresh ganache and dark chocolate, 72%. And then it's rolled in this special Koloskin paprika from Hungary. And it is so beautiful and unique. And I love to combine it with something like, you know, your favorite, most delicious, deep, rich, you know, wine or cocktail. And like, I've been craving that one lately, but this collection is like so special to me because it's basically a retrospective of my trip around the world. Wow. And, um, so I like them all, you know, but <laughs> I, I love the Wulu Mulu. Oh yeah. Oh, you used to have that in the bar and now yes. you have it in truffle. You have to yes. bring it back to the bar. I, know. Yeah, I have to write that down. Because <laughs> I was one. like, why, why is that I gone? Know. I also love the Barcelona bar. Um, <gasps> a lot of my guy friends like the bacon one. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> At first the they're like, what is this? And then, then, you know, now everyone like, you know, yes. it's like, can't wait to try it. And yeah. I have to tell you my story with, with Bush. Like the first, um, day I walked into uh, your Soho store in New York, I just like fell in love and I was like, Oh my God, I want to like live in this store. <gasps> and, um, I was, I went to UC Berkeley for law school, but I was in New York to study for my bar exam. And I was rented a small little apartment in, in Soho. And I was so tired from staring at law, law books all day. And then every day I would take a little coffee break, chocolate break, um, and walk and go to your store. And then after a while, the people start to recognize me. They're like, Oh, she's here again. And oh then I told them the story of how I'm like sitting for the bar and they would give me pep talks and encouragement. So that was like the highlight of my, my day every day. Oh, <laughs> and people are so kind and, and encouraging. And so I will always remember that. So, um, I painted like my bedroom in purple <laughs> and <laughs> my that. room looks kind of similar to this your store <laughs> and I brought so many of my families and uh, my friends like the people who are so close to me in your store so Katrina thank you so much for creating such a beautiful chocolate and Aww. beautiful store and beautiful brand and thank, thank you. you so much for doing what you do oh, thank you <laughs> this really, was really, awesome yeah I appreciate it and I cannot wait to share your story with with my listeners so thank you so much thank you <laughs> this was awesome I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katrina. If you want to see the show notes for today's episode, just open up your podcast app and click on today's show notes. Or you can go to selinalee.co forward slash episode 43. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E.co forward slash episode 43. If you're looking for guidance on how to find happiness and fulfillment in your career, I put together a guide to the three steps to finding true career fulfillment. 
In this guide, I share the three common themes of the people who have achieved incredible amount of success. And if you find what those three things are for you, I can guarantee that you'll not only have a successful career, but also a very fulfilling life. So if you want to check it out, you can download it by clicking on today's show notes on your podcast app or on my website, selinalee.co, that is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E.co. And if you enjoy listening to my podcast, or if it helped you in any way, I would be so grateful if you can please tell your friends about it and also write me a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, where you can write a review even from your Android phones. This is the best way you can help me to grow my podcast so more people can find out about it. I actually check several times a day to see if there's a new review. I know it's kind of funny and silly, but this is how I know you're listening and what I'm creating is actually helpful for you. So if you want to make my day, please write me a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and I would be so grateful. If you have any questions about my one-on-one coaching or have any thoughts or questions about my podcast, you can reach out to me on my website, selinalee.co forward slash contact. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E.co forward slash contact. Or just click on today's show notes on your podcast app and that will take you to my website. And please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a great week.